Glad to see that you made it out this morning through the weather. I was uh, talking with Pat and wondering if I was going to make a comment about all the people who will pack Soldier Field today for four hours outside. And here we are indoors. Anyway, I won't make a comment about that. Uh, I rarely ask you as a group to pray for me and my wife, but I'm going to ask this morning if you guys would pray for us over the next uh, couple weeks. On Tuesday, we leave for Africa to pursue, as you know, an adoption of a little girl from Ethiopia. And we're going to be spending our days hanging out with her. We'll see her for the first time on Thursday. We're going to be uh, also visiting orphanage, different orphanages and passing out some donations and kind of just exploring the culture in general. And, and the purpose why we're going on this trip is for adoption court. Um, and please pray that we would pass. It's a big deal. It's on the 23rd of um, December. And just pray that we would pass court. And then, Lord willing, we'll leave soon after that uh, court and fly back and, by God's grace, make it here by the night of Christmas Eve to spend it with our children here. But unfortunately, we have to leave her there. And it's like, what is that all about? Uh, if, it, if we pass court, we have to leave her there and we have to work out immigration issues and go back four to six weeks later to pick her up. And I'm trying to think of something theological about adopting her then leaving her, then coming back for her. And I think what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 8 is appropriate. Jesus said to them, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's a good picture. So I appreciate all of you who are journeying, journeying with us on this and praying for us. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for us. But for this morning, let's turn to the book of Matthew. I know at this time of the year, you're just ready for Christmas uh, birth sermons. Uh, we don't usually do that, but we just so happen to be doing it this year because we're going through the book of Matthew. And this morning, we're in the book of Matthew chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So let's all stand up as I read this text to you. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ro ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them 
until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You may be seated. This may be one of those snowy Sundays in December where you're anticipating not being changed much at church. My prayer for you this morning is that would not be the case, that something significant by the power of the Holy Spirit would be done in your life, that you would be surprised at what happens in you this morning. This is a great text we're studying. Matthew is presenting to us uh, from the infancy that Jesus is the King. And he's not just the King of the Jews, but he's the King of the world, and he will be worshipped by the nations as we have these wise men worshipping Jesus. And I think we would do well this morning to reflect upon the idea of the kingship of Jesus over our own lives. You see, what Matthew's trying to convey here is that Jesus is not just the king for Israel, but for the nations, and we, we should get excited about his kingship spreading among the nations, but we're not going to get too excited unless we're first excited about Jesus being king and ruler and Lord over our own lives. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to start pulling back, slowing down, taking stock of our own lives, and kind of evaluating where your walk is with the Lord. Like, how are you doing bowing down to the King? How are you doing your relationship with Jesus? And I know it's during this kind of time of the year that you're so packed, you've got crazy stuff going on. I know some of you have finals, some of you already finished finals. You're shopping, you're going here and there. But what will happen to most of you, maybe not all of you, but to most of you, during this holiday, you will have some semblance of downtime. I know you don't believe that now, but you will. You're going to have a day, two, maybe ten minutes. I mean, you'll have some time where you can pause, pull back, and evaluate. And then you can cram that time with TV watching and a lot of busyness. Or you can say, no, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to evaluate where I'm at with the Lord. What's going on in my life? What are my plans? Where's my future going? What is going on? Is Jesus king over my life? You see, this is the way our lives work. There was a point in your life, most of you are Christians. I, I know most of you, you're walking with the Lord. There was a time in your life where you were trying to figure out God's will, right? You're seeking his faith, you're seeking his word, you're seeking the counsel, and you made decisions, and you figured out what God's will was for your life, and you started to walk in it, and you submitted to the Lord while you held it loosely, right? We would all agree, right? We had that time in our life, we submitted our plans to the Lord, and yet we held them loosely. But as we age, and as we start to mature in our walk with the Lord, we see that some of the decisions we made in the past weren't the best. And they weren't necessarily plans that were from the Lord. They were actually plans that just, just came from us. 
And it's not like we submitted them to the Lord. We actually submitted them no higher than our wayward hearts. And so there comes time in your life where you have to pull back, evaluate, and say, what I once believed to be true, is it really true? What I really first thought the Lord wanted me to do, does he really want me to do that? And so as we pull back, I'm going to throw out a set of questions to you, briefly now, and then more thoughtful at the end. But here's some questions you can ask your life, beginning today and continuing over the holidays, and maybe with some friends, ask these hard questions of your life. Let me put them up to you. Question number one. Is your life trajectory and plan clearly in line with the king's word? We'll come back to these. Question two. Are you currently submitting and worshiping King Jesus in all areas of your life? Question three. Have you invited God and others to do a full investigation of your life and plans to ensure they are in conformity to the king. So we'll come back to these at the end. But as we proceed with our passage this morning, let's proceed with an open heart, a heart that is welcoming King Jesus to do his work in our lives. So let's start working our way through this wonderful passage, starting in verse 1. Check it out again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The passage is set up to demonstrate the kingship of Jesus and the different responses to him. We have King Herod and we have these wise men, two different responses to King Jesus. Now, when you think about these wise men, I just want to break it to you gently. They're not kings, and we don't know how many of them there actually are, but that's okay. You can still feel free to sing the Christmas song, We Three Kings, all you want. But they're not kings. We don't know how many there are. And though they're not kings, they probably advised kings. They would give the kings advice as they were wise men. They were likely priests, and chances are they utilized, yes, magic and astrology. And if you ever want to look at the birth story of Jesus, and you, and you question things that happen within the birth story. You're like, question. You go, virgin birth, conception of the Holy Spirit. Did that really happen, or was that a myth? Is that just a legend? Well, well an apologetic against that is to say, you know what? If it's a, a legend or a myth, well, it's, it's being spread pretty quickly, the Christians are believing this soon after it's happening, the resurrection of Christ. Documents are being written soon after, and the people are still alive, and they can just go, well, I knew Jesus. He was, he was sinning all over the time. That's just a fraud. It takes longer for some myth or legend. You know, yet people are still living to confirm Jesus' life. The same way with these, these wise men. You go, did that really happen? Did wise men really follow the star to Jesus? Well, here's a way it seems plausible. Get this. Christians and Jews are not a big fan of magic. They're not a big fan of astrology, right? And here you have these pagan magicians, foreigners, astrologers coming to worship Jesus. You wouldn't write that in unless it actually happened. 
gives us more plausibility that these nations are coming to the king to worship him. And what Matthew's going to do, if all the people you would expect to worship Jesus in this passage don't, all those you don't expect to worship Jesus do. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's great. So they're not Jews themselves. They may have known Jews from the land. They're probably likely from the land of Babylon. And remember from the deportation, the Jews, many Jews went to Babylon. Not all of them came back. So maybe these wise men are living among the Jews. And the Jews there speak about the expectation of a messianic king. Maybe they use passages such as Numbers 24, 17 that speak about this star that would point to the king of the Jews. So these wise men explain they saw this star, this looks like this supernatural star, this phenomenon in the sky that is, is moving and it's driving them toward Jerusalem and they've come to worship and they come to this great city and they come around King Herod and they're assuming that the king would know where the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was going to be born. I have no idea, but these wise men somehow put it all together. They connected all the dots and here they show up in Jerusalem. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You know why Herod's troubled? Herod's troubled because Herod is a fraud. He's a fraud king. He's a fake king. He, he, he really isn't a Jew. Herod is a man that has a, a very controversial life. His background his family adopted Jewish ways, but they don't have their, their lineage connected with, with the Jews. And Rome somehow gave him this authority, and he came into power in a roundabout way. But when he ruled as king, he was, he was a terrible king. He was a paranoid guy. And his paranoia led him to create, uh, do a lot of um, atrocities against his family members and others. He had his wife killed had his mother-in-law killed, had a couple and two, three of his sons killed, had his brother-in-law killed, he had his uncle killed, and next week we're going to see him killing many babies. He's, he's a terrible king. He's a terrible ruler. And so he hears that there is this king of the Jews has been born, and he knows he's a fraud. He knows he's not the real king of the Jews, so he feels threatened and that his reign is about to end, so he wants to find out where this baby was born so that he can kill him more on that next week. But if you look at verse 3, I don't understand. Do you understand what it says? And all Jerusalem with him. Now, I understand why Herod's troubled, but why is all of Jerusalem troubled? Maybe they're scared of what psycho Herod may do. He's so crazy. Maybe he'll, you know, start killing more than just babies. Who knows? Maybe they're just afraid of what he may do. But as I was studying this more, Many understand when it says that all of Jerusalem was troubled along with Herod, it seems to be referring to the religious leaders. It's referring to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And you wonder, well, why would the religious leaders be troubled? I mean, why? I mean, wouldn't you be excited? Yeah, the king's here. Well, well they're troubled because they have power. 
and though they and Herod don't always get along, they have this power, and it's a, it's a corrupt power, and if they hear that this new king's coming on the stage, who knows what the new king's going to do, and it may, he may come after their grip on power. They're not too excited about that, and so the religious leaders are troubled, and we're going to see all throughout the book of Matthew that the religious leaders have issues with Jesus. And I was thinking about Herod being troubled, and I was thinking about these religious leaders being troubled, and I started thinking about us, and we all can have these troubled tendencies when we believe that God may threaten the reign we have over our own lives. Because there's a lot of us in here, I don't know, maybe me too, we like to control our lives, we like to call the shots, and we think about Jesus invading our lives, that can be quite troubling. Because if he comes and invade our lives, then what's he going to do? And we get so troubled because we assume that we know how to run our lives better than King Jesus. If you think you know how to run your life better than King Jesus, then you do not know King Jesus very well. You know why? Because our king is a gracious king. Remember what we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 21? It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. How could you possibly think that you could run your life better than a king who came to die for you to take your sins upon himself on the cross, bearing the wrath of God, murdered in your place, buried, rose again, ascended, reigns at the right hand. All who repent and believe can be saved and know the Father. How can you possibly think that you can run your life better than him? He is a gracious king who loves us, full of mercy, laid down his life for us. And he can run our lives much better than we can. And he's totally opposite of Herod, who is a ruthless king. And so when we look at our lives and we have sin issues, sin issues. Have you ever had a sin issue that you don't want to pray about? Yeah? Like, I don't even want to pray about it because I know God's against it, so I'm not even going to pray about it. You ever had a sin issue where you don't even want to tell anybody to pray for you because you don't want to stop doing it? Who's the ruthless ruler then? It's you. You ever been like in bondage to something or totally hurt by something and you have not wanted to seek out healing from Jesus? Who's the ruthless ruler? It's you. We have these tendencies to be troubled about the invasion of Jesus. What we don't realize is he's a gracious king who's going to forgive us, heal us. And when we keep him away, we're the ruthless ruler. Look at this gracious king. Let's look at it. See what's going on here. Verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem, Judea. 
for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod finds out these, these guys are here from the east looking for this king. Herod doesn't know the word. He goes to the Bible guys. He goes to the scholars. He goes to the priests. He says, look, these guys are here. No clue where he's going to be born. Where is he going to be born? And these guys, they know their Bible. Micah 5.2. Yes, Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Yep, that's where the Messiah will come. That's where the king will be born. For sure, Herod. And then he tacks on this little part at the end. It says, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's a quote from 2 Samuel 5, too. So not only is the king going to be born in uh, Bethlehem, but the king is going to be a gracious king who will shepherd his people, forgive, them, forgive their sins, and lead them to God. So the king Herod goes right to these Bible guys. They say, yep, it's going to be Bethlehem, and he's going to be a gracious king. It's for sure going to happen that way. This is what amazes me, is that... Herod says, some guys are here. Where is he going to be born? They know the word of God. They say, here's where he's going to be born, and then that's it. That's it. These Bible guys, they don't go. They don't go and look for the king. They don't go and search for the king. The Bible guys don't. Maybe they love their corrupt power, but they're, they're staying there, and then these, these, these wise men go, but not them. They know the prophecy. They hear that maybe this king is going to be born, and, and they don't go worship. And yet these pagan um, foreigners, astrologers, magicians, they go. Everybody you think in this story who should be worshiping Jesus is not worshiping, and the people you think would never worship Jesus are worshiping him. Isn't that amazing? Those that are so close to him are not worshiping. And those who came from so far away, the nations, the foreigners, they're the ones worshiping. Sometimes we assume too much. Sometimes we assume that those who are, have the best chance are going to be the ones that bow to him, right? But some, some of you, you, you grew up in a church. You grew up going to Sunday school. You grew up in a Christian home. You grew up maybe even going to Christian school. You have 16 Bibles on your shelf. You would think, you're the one that's going to worship, right? You're the one who has the best shot at it. And what do we see? A lot of times, you just, you don't worship. And along comes someone who doesn't know anything. So far away, and you look at them and you say, that magician, astrologer, pagan, no, they're never, ever going to follow Jesus in no way. And they're the ones following Jesus. And you can, you can say, yeah, but I know the word. <laughs> I've memorized the word. I don't, I don't have to actually do it or submit to him. We could be like those religious guys. They know the word. And those, those astrologers, magicians, the wise men, they, they don't know the word. They just, they just want to worship. Where's he at? And so the guys who know the Bible stay behind and study the Bible. And the guys don't have a clue. They go worship. That is amazing. 
That's amazing. Let's look at sneaky Herod in verse 6 and 7. Verses 8, 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When they have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So I think Herod's trying to figure out, you'll see this more next week, but Herod's trying to figure out when that star appeared so he can figure out how old the boy is so that he can pretty much go wipe out the boys his age. You'll see that next week. But what amazes me is I don't understand why Herod didn't like send a guard with them or send somebody with a knife. Like when they finally got there, they could take care of, you know, just kill him right there. Why doesn't he do that? And I was asking that question, and I learned this week that, that Herod, for some reason, he really liked the concept of secret agents. He, he had secret agents throughout his little reign, and he loved secret agents, and he, he truly believed that these wise men were buying into it. And so he sends them along as his secret agent, and he thinks they're going to bring him back word. Well, let's see if that actually works out that way. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So you have this supernatural star. It guides them from Jerusalem and about six miles away over to Bethlehem. And, and they're so pumped. They're just, they're just so happy that they have finally accomplished their goal of getting, have been guided to the point where the child is at. And so they, they get there. Now they're on the scene with Jesus. And before I proceed any further, I've got to clear up some, some misconceptions because what we tend to do at Christmas is we put the wise man at the birth scene. I, I, when I was young, I was in a play, Christmas play. Probably many of you did the, the church Christmas play, right? Yeah? Well, I was the, one of the wise men, one of three, of course. And when it was time for me to go up there to the, the nativity scene, I walked down the church aisle. Can you guess what song I walked into? We Three Kings, that's right. So I'm walking down the aisle, and when I get there on the scene, there are the shepherds hanging out. They're there. And there's the angels doing their thing. And there's all these animals all over the place. And here's, here's me, the king, joining them. One of the three kings joining. No. No. No, 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 no. The, the wise men are not there. They come later. Months later. All right? Did, did I ruin your Christmas? Don't. That's okay. I have a nativity scene at home with them all together too. Okay? I have the same thing, all right? I don't want to separate them and put them over here and bring them in, you know, about a year later, right? No. Okay, they're all there. So it's okay. I make these compromises in life. But just know, just know they weren't there. All right. So verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't know what these guys understand. 
I, I don't know. Maybe they just think they're paying homage to this earthly king. I don't know what they understand. Do they understand about this, this, this awesome conception? Do they understand that Jesus is going to come to save people from their sins? Do they understand that he's going to shepherd the lost, of, you know, the Virgin Mary and all that? Do they understand all that? I, I don't know. But I am amazed that God is bringing these guys from so far away so when Jesus is a little bitty boy, a little baby boy, and they are just, just worshiping. They're giving them gold and giving us this really expensive fragrance of, of frankincense that is burned and then of, of myrrh, which is another expensive fragrance, and they're just worshiping. And, and many have speculated, uh, you'll get to it more next week, that Mary and Joseph, they're going to have to flee to Egypt soon. Like, how, how's a poor family going to take an extended vacation in Egypt? Look at these expensive gifts. It's going to fund their travel. Pretty impressive. God's bringing worship from the nations to bless the king. And then there's verse 12. And being warned in a dream, this is the wise man, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is a supernatural WikiLeak. <laughs> it is, straight up. As you may know, WikiLeaks is this controversial organization that puts out sensitive documents, and often unpublished documents come out about the internal workings of governments that can be damaging to governments and individuals. But look what God's doing here. He's revealing Herod's heart, not through a website, but through a dream. And Herod's plans are uncovered and out in the open, and it's revealed that Herod does not want to worship, but have us another agenda. He has an agenda of death. So the wise men, they're wise, so they pay attention, and they go home another way. And it made me wonder, if, if, if such a sensitive leak came out about you, about your heart, like really, what would it reveal? That you really have a heart of worship? Or somehow your life is all of a cover for another agenda? If a, a leak it was revealed about what's truly inside of you, what would it show? That you're broken over your sin, that you're, you want to worship the king, or you're just a fraud. You're a church. You do the Christian thing. Study the Bible. But you have another agenda. Do you have an agenda of worshiping the king, or do you have a heart that is set on self-rule? I mean, it's pretty much a simplistic message here. It's simply to say, here's a, here's a little simple question, or do you want to be, you know, just like the old school Sunday school lessons for your, for your children, like, do you want to worship Jesus like the wise men, or do you want to be like Herod? What are you, what are you going to say? Well, I want to be like Herod. I mean, everybody in here is going to say, no, I want to be like the wise men. I want to worship Jesus. But every single person has these Herod-like tendencies in their life where they are set on self-rule. We're set on governing our own life, and we keep the gracious king at a distance. 
And that's why I believe that beginning today, you need to pull back and ask yourself some hard questions. I think starting today and continuing through the holidays before we hit the new year and you make all these resolutions that are not going to last for very long, you need to start thinking about what are you doing? Where is your heart? Is it set on worshiping the king or is it set on basically worshiping yourself and reigning your own life? So I'm going to come back to these questions that I had at the beginning and comment a little bit on them and really want you to think about them. So let's start with number one. Let me put this up for you. Is your life trajectory and plan clearly in line with the king's, this is the king's word right here. Isn't it interesting that sometimes some of the assumptions that you have about life, as it progresses, it becomes more and more clear that the assumptions you had about how your life is supposed to work is in conflict with the king's word. That's just maturity. That's not a bad thing when you come to those revelations. It's okay to mature in your walk with Jesus and realize that the assumptions you once held about life are not really good. It's, it's okay. But the issue is once you come to that revelation, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to make the shift and the change? I'm just thinking about, about six weeks ago, we were, we were studying about money. Remember that? We talked about money. It was from the book of Malachi. We are going through Malachi, and we, and we talked about money. And I'm, I'm just wondering how many of you are reworking your life when you notice that you pattern your finances after the world and not after the word. Because about 70 of you, 70 of you took those books that we had for you in the foyer about the treasure principle. And I'm, I'm not messing with you too much now, but I'm wondering, did you actually read that? And if you actually read it, in which way are you starting to bring your finances and the way you think about earthly money in conformity with the king's word? So that's a question to ask. Is your life trajectory and plan, everything, clearly in line with the king's word? Number two, are you currently submitting and worshiping King Jesus in all areas of your life? And if you think that King Jesus does not care about all areas of your life, you better stop reading Matthew right now. Because in four weeks, we're about to head right into the Sermon on the Mount. And it seems like the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives his sermon, he doesn't leave out areas. He touches on areas of anger. Anybody have any anger issues in here? He touches on the areas of lust. Anybody have any lust issues in here? Touches on issues of marriage. On issues of love and how you deal with your enemies, about your your weak prayer life. I mean, he he just goes all single area of your life, and and I think it's a very appropriate question to ask. And I think it's so appropriate that I I did this with my my kids this past week. We went around the room during family worship, and I asked each of them, including my wife and myself, we asked, "What area of our lives do we need to submit?" to Jesus. And everybody would have their own issue of their own life. You, you would as well. So we're going around the room. I'm not going to share what their issues were, but I'll share my issue. Right? I just want to tell you. One of the areas that I really, I'm trying to bring under the, the lordship of Jesus 
and under the submission of Jesus. And this is, this is new to me. It's just being revealed to me. Maybe you've seen my, my issue for a long time now. It's new to me, uh, unfortunately. But my expectation, this is my issue, my um, expectation and life goals for my kids needs to be reevaluated. Let me explain. As adults, we can be striving, and we can, we can work hard at work. We can work hard at a lot of things. But when you start having kids, you start to give them that stuff. You start to put expectations, whether you say it or not, on what you want to see and how they excel and what you want to see them accomplish and what you expect of them. I expect to see you in the Super Bowl. I expect to see you graduate from Harvard. Yeah, yeah, and on and on and on. But what you see in these expectations is you're like, well, let me pull back for a little bit. What is happening to my life as I'm striving for those expectations? What is happening to the life of my family as we aim for those expectations? It's not always good. I was reading a book last night called Death by Suburb. Ever heard of that? Death by Suburb. How to keep the suburbs from killing your soul. Yeah. And one of the things it talks about in there is the expectation the parents have upon their kids, and it's kind of ridiculous. An example he gave is a friend of his his wife was, was very sick with cancer in the hospital, was out one day coaching his, his, I think his daughter's soccer team, little soccer team, and he's trying to rotate all the kids in so they all have fair playing time, just like you do in the suburbs, fair playing times. And one of the moms there didn't think that her daughter was getting enough a fair playing time, so she left in a huff during the middle of the game. And he's like, okay, my wife is really, really sick with cancer. And you're, you're angry about a little kid's soccer game? And it made me think about my expectations. Where does this fit into the Word? Where does this fit into life? What, what is my perspective? What am I doing? Am I driving my kids, my family to this, this brink? And so that's my issue. Thank you for letting me do some counseling with you over that. But what's yours? What area of your life is not in submission to the king? Long-standing assumptions you may have had, this is the way it's supposed to be. Maybe it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's just the way you were taught from your parents. Or maybe you just assumed that's the way it was going to play out. Maybe it has nothing to do with what God wants. What area is that? Last question. Have you invited God and others to do a full investigation of your life and plans to ensure that they are in conformity to the king? This, inc this includes other people. Have you ever had someone just come in and say, I, I know you have financial advisors. They look at all your finances, and you have someone else that may look at other issues in your life. But have you ever said, look, come and evaluate my life with me. 
Find someone who knows the word. Maybe they're in your ethos community. Sit down with you and say, okay, here's my life. What areas in my life do you see not matching up? I almost want to dare you. I dare you to invite someone else in. Invite someone else into your life to look at another angle of what's going on. And while you're doing that, invite, say, God, full access. Um, I want to hide nothing. Come and evaluate my life. I want it all to be in submission to the king because I am such a ruthless ruler. And you are not. Our king is gracious. And he loves you. And he wants to reign over all of you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a gracious king. Father, thank you for sending your son to reign over us, to shepherd us, your people, to save us from our sins, to reconcile us to you. And Lord, some of us, by our ruthless rule of our own lives, have driven our lives into the ground, and they are a mess. And we invite you to come and heal us, to forgive us, to show us truth where we're just so blinded, to give us victory, to bring us out of bondage. Lord, I pray for my brethren here. I don't know how many of them are in here. I pray for my brothers in here, Lord, that they will not wait any longer to submit to you. They would submit to you today. They would flee the bondage they're in. And submit to you, gracious King. I pray for my sisters in here who have nowhere to go. They feel like they are stuck. May they just go to you, the gracious King, and just pour out their lives in full submission to you, gracious King. We're done, Father. We are done. We give you our lives. Gracious King, please... Take us and hold us and heal us and reign over us. In your name we pray, amen.